0: You are listening to the Reality Steve Podcast with your host, Reality Steve. He's got all the latest info and behind-the-scenes juice on Clayton's season of The Bachelor and interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. Now, here's Reality Steve.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to podcast number 274. I am your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. We've got a fun show for you this week. We've got two guys in the reality TV casting world from Cornwell Casting, Jason Cornwell and Damon Colazzo. They are the two people, their company, Cornwell Casting, are the company that cast for Joe Millionaire. They casted Steven, they cast Kurt, and all the women. And we talk a lot about that in today's podcast. In addition to, I've never spoken to anybody in the casting world before. I don't even think I've ever spoken to anybody in the production world before, except maybe Michael Carroll. He was was a producer that was interviewed for Amy Kaufman's book, Um, and he came on. He was a former producer in The Bachelor world years ago, and then did the first few seasons of Temptation Island. I think he's the only person on the production side I've ever had on. So it was really interesting having two people on that run their own casting production company. And you'll hear from Jason and Damon momentarily. So not a whole hell of a lot to get to in regards to The Bachelor world. If you read my column yesterday, you know that The Women Tell All is scheduled for next Wednesday in L.A. And I would assume we're going to get Sinead there. And it'll be interesting to see exactly how she handles this. She's handled everything about as poorly as you can from the second the show started airing. So I guess I shouldn't expect anything different. And as I've written for the last two weeks regarding Shanae, even if she does get up there and is apologetic and cries. Why would any of the audience believe anything she says and take her at face value? She's already shown that she can say something on TV and then take it right back in an ITM saying, you know, yay, my yay tears. And I did a great acting job. I deserve an Oscar for this. So anything she says, I'm not going to buy it. And she might not care, but I'm just giving my opinion on what kind of corner this woman has painted herself into by the way she acted on the show. Why should anybody believe her? She clearly had so many opportunities to apologize. And when she did apologize on the show in front of the women, the second she got behind a camera and the women weren't around, she basically laughed at the fact that she made that she apologized. So I don't know how she's going to do it. She's clearly going to be there. It would make no sense if she wasn't there. They will find a way to get her there, even if she doesn't want to. And she's like, I'm over this. I don't want to do this. No, I'm, my guess is she'll be there. But, yeah, tapes next Wednesday in L.A., And, you know, hopefully I'll find out some stuff and be able to relay to you exactly what happened at the Women Tell All. But this is going to be mostly centered around what the hell Shanae did this season. A little on Cassidy, I would think, you know, they'll they'll talk to her about what she said and the friends with benefits guy she had back home and whatnot. But that's not the story. She lasted two episodes. It's really not that big of a deal. Shanae is the person that everyone is going there for. So. It'll be interesting to see which women attack her and not attack, but I mean criticize her and ask her, what the hell are you doing? And I hope they say what I just said. I hope they say, great, Sinead. If, if Sinead gets up there and apologizes, I hope they say, great, but why are we supposed to believe you? And if Sinead is like, well, you don't have to believe me, but this is how I really feel. Like It's like she's she's in a lose-lose. She can't win coming out of the Women Tell All. I don't see any way Sinead looks good. At Women Tell All. I don't. She can get up there and cry from the second she sits down till the second she leaves. And I think a lot of us will be like, great. (laughs) We saw you do that on the show. And you said you were faking the tears. And you said you were a great actress. So why should this be any different? So she's really lost all credibility by what she did on the show. And we'll see what she does on the Women Tell All. But I'm not expecting some wow. That was a really different Shanae. I never saw this side of her. No. No. Sorry. Your credibility is shot. As for everything else, we are about a month away from the finale airing. And as I mentioned earlier this week, I don't have your winner for you. And, you know, I don't know if and when I will. But you know when I do, if I do. I will share it with everybody. There's no reason for me to hold out. I am not holding out. I'm not like... I I say it every time, but it basically just comes down to I need the confirmation that I feel comfortable with. And I just don't have that yet. Sure, I've heard it's Susie. Sure, I've heard it's Rachel. Sure, I've heard it's Gabby. Well, clearly can't be all three. And... But, you know, you hear other things, and you're just like, okay. And once I hear something, it's like, okay. Now, I know that there. I've gotten emails on it and DMs on it, and this is where I want to explain to you. I've been asked numerous times, why don't you just share what you know or what you've been told? And I said, do you realize what a horrible position that puts me in? Because the second I just share what I've heard, it's going to lead to so many more questions because what I've heard isn't any sort of finality to anything. It isn't like, oh, this happened, which then led to this and this and this. If I just say what I've heard, you're going to have so many more follow-up questions. You'll be frustrated that I told you what I heard because you'll be like, that didn't give us anything. Exactly. so why I haven't said anything. It's the whole point. Like It doesn't make any sense to just share with you what I've heard because what I've heard is just... Pretty much nothing I can confirm. I hear a lot of things, but I only report the stuff that I believe I have confirmed in my own way, whether it be double sourced or triple sourced or from a source that is only one person telling me, but I know that person knows what they're talking about. So it varies from season to season. There's no rhyme or reason to every single thing that I've posted as a spoiler over the years. Sometimes it's double sourced. Sometimes it's triple sourced. Sometimes it's one source that based on who they are and what they told me and or what they showed me, I know it's true. For this season, for Clayton, it's just been a lot of, I'm hearing this. And then as I'm you know, trying to vet out what they're hearing, it turns into, okay, well, how did you hear that? Who did you hear that from? Does that person have any reason to lie? And I just haven't gotten the solid answers that I'm looking for. And that's it. That's really all it is. I'm looking for the confirmation. I say it every season, but it seems to go over people's heads because I keep getting DMs about, why don't you share it? And I'm not going to just share what I hear. If I did that, I'd be sharing stuff literally every single day. And and then it just becomes just gossip and speculation. And then it turns into Reality Steve is reporting. Even if I say I'm hearing it, it turns into Reality Steve reported this. And then when it doesn't come true, because it isn't something that was actually confirmed, I just... Ran with anything told to me, kind of like Dumois. Then it's like, well, he doesn't—he uh, doesn't know anything. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, yeah, because it gave you something that wasn't even confirmed. But hey, you wanted it, so yeah. I'm just not going to do that. It's just not something that I'm interested in. I'm not interested in posting speculation or gossip or whatever. I'll leave that to the Instagram accounts and the gossip mongers on TikTok. Let them do that. That's not what I'm doing. I'm trying to find out who won the show and who he picked and what's been happening post-show, and are they together, or what's going to happen at the After the Final Rose. And I've heard heard a few things, and I'm just trying to get it confirmed. That's all I can do. So without any further ado, let's get going. You're going to like this one, podcast number 274. All right, let's bring them in. Uh, They've casted contestants on some of your favorite reality shows, like Joe Millionaire, Millionaire Matchmaker, X on the Beach, Kate plus date, so many others. Uh, from Cornwell Casting, a reality TV casting company based in LA, it's Jason Cornwell and Damon Colazzo. Thank you guys for coming on. Appreciate it.
2: Hey, thanks hey. for having us.
1: Before Good we to be here. yeah, before we dive into some background stuff, I'll start with you, Jason, since you are the head of Cornwell Casting. Um, your role at Cornwell and what you're responsible for doing, reality TV casting company. What does that entail?
2: That Well, first, let me say that Damon is my partner. So we're, okay. both, we're both heads of the company. Gotcha. So it's just got my name on it because I named it before Damon and I became partners. And then we were afraid to change the name. But we, we basically get a call from a network um, or a production company and they'll say, hey, we've got 10 episodes. Um, we're shooting in four months and we need you to go find X, Y and Z. And we'll, you know, give them a budget and give them a plan, and then we'll start the search for the cast. Like um, Joe Millionaire is a good example, because it was it was a long casting. You know, we had to take a long time to find the guys. The women were a challenge too, as well. Ben can speak to this as well. But it was like we really wanted to find high quality women that, if we were that age and we were single, that we would um consider women to take home to your parents so we were looking for high quality women and the men had to be uh you know obviously the men had to be a lot of things but they had to be able to play a millionaire and they also had to be able to play blue collar and they both had to be convincing but most important they had to get along and we were very pleasantly surprised at their little bromance that formed. But <laughs> it, it wasn't by accident. It wasn't by accident. It was We really were looking for a long time for two dudes we thought would get along.
1: Okay, so here, here could be a, just an ignorant question. Does the show reach out to numerous casting um, companies and basically whoever delivers the two guys that they end up going with? Or are they like, hey, we're hiring you and we're only going with you and Cornwell Casting is responsible for all of Joe Millionaire?
2: Oh, yeah, it's one company, one. Company. Okay. Um, yeah, one company. I mean, they, they, they spend, they'll put all their trust in you. I mean, you don't get a show like Joe Millionaire, um, unless you've done a lot of shows, and you've delivered a lot of cast in, you know, and depending on the genre you're aiming for, you need some credentials um, for them to feel confident about it. But the truth is, is we were hired by Fox before the production company was hired and they we had done two shows for fox recently we had done a game show called mental samurai and we had done another game show called cherry's wild but one of the producers over at fox was somebody we had worked with on millionaire matchmaker for multiple seasons back in the day and actually damon was very close with him because damon was going to set and working with him and now he's at fox so he knew uh, the types of daters we could go out and find. And he knew that we were like a dog to a bone. We didn't let go until we got it done.
1: So, so Damon, when I spoke with Kurt and Steven about a month ago and in talking about the show, they both said, like, yeah, they just reached out to me on Instagram, I think is, is how they got contacted by you guys. So how do you find someone like a Kurt and Steven? And what exactly were you looking for like why did you fire off an email to those two guys out of numerous guys on the internet you could have
0: yeah good question uh i mean ultimately you know he was uh uh it was McBee was promoting his beef jerky and it just so happened we came across his feed Mm. and uh one of our one of our casting uh casting producers uh chad found him and uh, reached out to him it was just as simple as a dm saying hey we're doing a show we love uh we love your look we love uh, your style we love what you're all about i mean it's hard to come across a a, 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 a millionaire farmer i mean at, at age 26 handsome uh single uh sane you know so many so many variables obviously you can't tell a lot of those things um from just video and pictures but he was pretty active on his social media, and so we thought, okay, this guy's pretty resourceful. He's a hard worker. Appears he gets his hands dirty, and so we love the dynamic of someone who could come in and who's never opened up a bottle of champagne or knew what, you know, b- body was to a to a glass of wine, <laughs> um, you know. But yet, you know, he's rolling around in a in a Range Rover and, and flying in a helicopter. So we love that 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 dynamic, and thought he was a, a great uh catch for us uh but ultimately you know he we found him so early in the game that um and 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 not only that but he was a willing participant he wanted to be involved with it and i i think something that a lot of people you know there's a lot of fear-mongering going on when it comes to casting shows oh don't do it because it's going to make you look bad they're going to make you look bad they're going to put words in your mouth they're going to you know blah 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 and so ultimately you know, we, we were very upfront with Steven from the very beginning. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of trust involved. Uh, n- numerous conversations that Jason had with him along with myself. And so, you know, there's a lot of trust, especially when you find someone so early on and you're going six months of casting. Uh, so, and the same for same for Kurt. We just reached out his DM, thought he was a good-looking guy. He seemed like he would uh, be the right kind of fit. And we wanted these guys to get along. We loved that they were both kind of in the blue-collar world. Um, so, uh, that, that worked out and plus they were about the same height. So that worked too.
1: Yeah. I know that was a thing for them in the first episode to make sure. I think Steven was the one that was like, I hope this guy isn't, you know, five inches taller than me. Um, so for a little, we bit- had some average Joes that were five to six to seven inches taller. You know,
2: he's a good six one, but we had some average Joes that were really tall. So that had to be considered because they needed to be equally attractive, you know, in different ways. But yeah. they they needed to be equal in every way we could, um, possibly match them up in. And, so and that became even more clear when they started shooting the show.
1: So the show was specific about we can't have guys that are, you know, I don't know if they gave it an inch difference, but no more than two inches taller than the other one. I mean, they no, didn't really yeah. give us
0: that. Yeah, it, it, I guess that's kind of like. What we assumed, it, you know, but it was a logistical. Right? It was a logistical thing. I mean, you can't have somebody who's four inches taller because you can't get him in the frame. Yeah, you know, in the shot, and so it would just, you know, from a logistical standpoint, you know, spending so many years on set, and you see, you know, you just see these things that you organically know, like, okay, we we can't put a five ten guy with a six foot five guy. It's just not going to work. Yeah, and you know, so that that was that was just kind of one of those deals where we knew we had to we had to match these guys up. So. Hence, why you know it, it was uh, it was a self-imposed challenge per se. Um, we we had plenty of great candidates early on, but we knew we were looking for a match, and we really needed these guys to, to to blend well together. Because as Jason mentioned, our goal was really for these two guys to get along. And I think some of that fear that I mentioned earlier, some of these guys had, is well, I don't want to be going up against somebody, and and it was we were very very upfront about that. We want you guys to get along We, you two guys, you know, going through this, uh, uh, you know, this, this, uh, experience together, this journey together of finding love. We want you guys to bond and really confide in one another. And that, that seems to have, it has, you know, paid off in spades so far. Well,
1: again, I I'm very new to this in terms of the behind the scenes work of, uh, a casting production company here. When, when this show is all set to go, and everyone's out in Atlanta and they're about to film. Are you part of this process at all? Or once you cast this show, you guys have nothing to do with it? Did you ever go out to Atlanta and watch the filming or no?
2: It, it varies, David. I'll let you take this one because he can speak to the being on set. But it varies for every show. It mm. depends. Like on this one, once they were in Atlanta, we were done. Okay. But getting them to Atlanta, everything is, is up to us until they get on the plane and arrive and then they're in production's hands but that can be different on a show and damon has been on set for
0: yeah. many
2: shows you can speak to that yeah
0: the i mean in a nutshell it yeah it depends on the show i mean mental samurai with rob you know, rob lowe was the host on that game show uh we had some team members fly to set and sort of help you know wrangle the talent and you know we're a friendly face that the talent knows so we like to we like to extend that uh, opportunity to productions. Sometimes they want it. Sometimes they don't. In this case, they didn't need it. Um, you know, Sally Ann was really gracious about like uh, so many things. And you know, we we wouldn't we you know we wouldn't be where we are today if it wasn't for you know just the, the amount of work that tireless amount of hours that were put in into just the casting, which was great in so many ways and showed a lot of solidarity. But at the end of the day, they didn't need us there, and that was fine. But as Jason said, you know, getting getting people on planes to go somewhere to spend six weeks, you know, uh, and you really don't know exactly, you've never had this kind of experience, is, is a little bit of a leap of faith uh, for people. And so, you know, you have to almost have some people, you have to walk them to the actual airport, you know, just so they'll get on that plane.
2: Well, and then walk
1: them
0: back
2: and walk them back <laughs> when they decide not to fly and then talk them back into it.
1: Well, yeah, I mean
2: – just. just Keep
1: them sane. I, shit, when I had Jenny on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, she said, I missed my first flight. And, yes. yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yep. But
2: by the way, Steve, that was a great interview. You oh, thanks. Really handled that subject yeah, matter that good interview. Um, yeah. with grace. And um, it, it was great. And Jenny's great. But Jenny is the person I'm thinking of. And I can speak to it only because she's already mentioned it. Yeah. But she did. Um, I was actually spending time with my family that day, and I was supposed to go to this event, and we're out at a friend's house, and I get a call, and it's like, Jenny didn't get on the plane, so Damon had to help out with this, too, but it was just a matter of finding out, calling her, getting her on the phone, and talking to her, and, you know, we didn't really know everything about um, what had gone down with her. We knew some of it, but we hadn't dove too far into it, so not knowing what she's going through at the time you just have to be an ear and you have to listen and then as a casting director and as a casting company you don't want to lie to people you want to be honest with them so we're we're being straight up with her and i think that's what in the end got her on the plane because we told her the truth we said if you go to atlanta and you decide that you don't want to do the show you can leave You can fly to Atlanta, you can meet the producers, you can meet everybody. And if you still have this same feeling that you're having right now, you can leave. And once we said that, she got on her flight and she left. We said, trust us to get you there. If you don't want to stay, you don't trust them, get on a plane and go home. No harm, no foul. Hmm. She got on the plane.
1: Oh, very cool. Yeah, I mean, I I really enjoyed talking to her. Uh, I had no idea about that story until... I started doing a dive on it on the internet and, you know, it was just, you know, just, it was just a curiosity in me. I I really, I really like the human interest stories to, to do nowadays because, you know, when you're a contestant, you're one of 25 or 30 contestants, you know, I basically cover bachelor and bachelorette and, you know, when you're one of 25, 30 contestants, it's very hard for your story to get out there unless you last long in the show. We, uh, we know this. And so as I've always said, everyone's got a story. Some are more interesting than others. Clearly, when she said that to Steven on the first date, I had no idea about her, anything about her, and the second she said that, I was like, huh, this is interesting. Did a little Googling, DM'd her at the end of the show, and said, I'd love to have you come on. And then she said, yeah, and I was like, okay, let me dive a little further, and then I saw what it was all about, and I was like, okay, this is something that is, one, is topical, and two, she's she was you know, the spearhead of this, of this, um, lawsuit. So
2: again, though, Steve, you gotta, that goes to the credit. A lot of that is Jenny, uh, willing to talk about it. And then you've got a lot of things in between Jenny saying it and then making it to the, to air. You've got the production, Sally Ann and four, nine, five, making the decision to cut that into the show and to keep that. Mm -hmm. And then you've got Fox agreeing to that and saying, this is a story we all want to tell. so, once she says it, there are a lot of times and places where stories like that don't get out. They might not be relevant or it might be something that the network doesn't want to address or the production company thinks is a, is a Debbie Downer moment. But to their credit, they heard that, they said, this is a story we should tell and they aired it and she got a voice and she is a voice for women going through this, for people going through this. So it's it's like three or four people have to approve and and agree that we're going to talk about this. Yeah. And yeah. I was I was very pleasantly surprised because so many times the stories like that just don't get told.
1: Yeah, and I like I said if if Fox doesn't allow it, and I never hear that, then I have no reason to reach out to Jenny at the end of that mm-hmm. and she never comes on the podcast because I'm exactly. I don't know anything about her other than oh, she had a first date with Stephen it went, you know, they they watched an opera. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. great. I mm-hmm. mean, so I'm glad. I'm glad that it all came out. But yeah, there are layers to it that I didn't really even think of. Other than, yeah, she can say it, but if the show chooses not to air it, then how is anyone ever going to know about it? So, exactly. Um, a little right. back, a little background, Jason, uh, for people that don't know, you were on season six of the Real World, which was Real World Boston, uh, which I never yep. saw. I I think I jumped in the Real World train uh, on Hawaii, which was season eight. And then I watched pretty religiously after that. I I know it was a while ago, but kind of walk us through, after that ended, how you moved on into the world of reality TV casting and working for Bunman Murray Productions and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, sure. Uh,
2: Well, yeah, I did the show. Um, I realized, unfortunately, while I was on the show that I would prefer to be behind the scenes. But I've made it through the show, finished it. And I was uh, back from Boston. I think I was living, um, I was just doing a little vacation time back home in Arkansas. And I got a call from uh, Mary Ellis Dunham and she wanted me to come out to LA and do some on-camera interviews with some of the contestants for the next season of Real World. So she basically wanted me to take the girls on dates and see how they reacted and see if they were um, cool under pressure And so I flew out and I took some of these women on dates just around LA and just interviewed them sort of, you know, real easy. I was, I was nervous. I was probably as nervous as they were because I you know, didn't know what I was doing, but I liked it enough that I, I asked her for a job. And so I was working at Una Murray when my show was airing on MTV and I just stayed, I stayed there. I cast the first season you saw, I was one of the casting directors on, real world Hawaii I found Tech and Ruth and Justin and you know everybody had a part in that those were my those were my golden children mm. Tech was the funniest person I'd ever interviewed in my life I'm like this guy's got to get on the show and so I had an interesting perspective I had a perspective that at the time nobody had which was somebody who had recently been on a show who was now able to talk to people about what it was like um, and kind of what works. Because I had just been there, and I knew what worked and what didn't work. Or at least I had an idea. I thought I did. And so I stuck around View and Murray for a couple of years, and I worked a whole bunch of different jobs, and then eventually just uh, went out on my own. And When I found Damon, I had just formed my company, and it's uh, the rest is just a bunch of shows in between now and then.
1: Damon, you came over from scripted television to join Jason at Cornwall, right? First, Mm -hmm. did you do that? Yeah. Okay, so first off, tell us how... Tell us how you guys met and kind of what brought you, I know you had mentioned before we we popped on here, about you did you did some acting work, you had some bit parts and bit roles and TV shows and whatnot. What brought you out of the scripted world into reality TV?
0: Well, I think, you know, like many of us, you know, the necessity of, of you know, finding a steady steady paying job. Um, you know, the scripted thing was obviously appealing to me, but I only knew it from a being in front of the camera, and you know, I'd done some pretty decent stuff, and was living off my acting. Um, but it came to a point where I think I needed a little more stability. And um, uh, I had actually cast a couple of shows prior to meeting Jason uh, for Three Ball, who had done, you know, The Biggest Loser, Beauty and the Geek, which I had done. Uh, so I had, I, I got a few things under my belt, and then a colleague of ours had in, introduced us thought we would be, you know, a good fit just as far as, you know, working together. There was no intent of, you know, being a partner in the beginning, but we met Jason and I met at a Starbucks one day and we hit it off. He was from the South. I'm from Texas. And so we, uh, we hit it off and uh, I mean, we immediately started working and uh, I mean, we our first really big gig was self love. Um, and uh, that was a, you know, it was a great, a a great franchise and it did really well and probably would have kept going if it wasn't for you know a little bit of a mishap which i won't get into but uh it had nothing to do with us uh and um yeah and we we've just kind of been known as the uh you know the guys that do uh hard dating shows Um, well and there's
2: there's more to that story damon there is uh, he was an assistant uh, he came in as an assistant casting director, but my main casting director that was working that show kept leaving at like five o'clock. I'm not going to mention any names. But she kept leaving because she had another project and Damon was the only one that stuck around and worked until late in the night. So I knew then and there that this guy was a hard worker and he had a great eye for talent and we were casting the pilot for Tough Love. So we got the, we got the pilot done and it was awesome. And then we did, you know, I don't know, subsequently like four seasons. I don't know how many seasons the show went, but from that point on all you're looking for in casting are people that will work as hard as you will and harder at times and people that are really good at talking and really good at interviews. And eventually everybody develops kind of an instinct for it. And um, he was all those things. So I was like, I'm keeping this guy. And so he just came in and started running things with me and, And the rest is history.
1: So I imagine a lot of changes in the industry since you first started to where we are now. I mean, I don't think a lot of people realized how big and lucrative the reality genre would be. So, I mean, Jason, tell us the biggest difference, I guess, that you see between casting in 2006 when you started this company versus casting in 2022.
2: I'd say the most obvious difference is that Uh, everything is virtual now. We used to have, uh, you know, almost a 2,000 square foot office space in Santa Monica. That was our first official office space where, you know, we had parking for people to come in and we would interview people. We would meet everybody face-to-face. They would come into our office, do an interview in a chair with a camera and lights. Now everything, even pre-pandemic, is done by Zoom. We can, which is great because we can get the same quality interview over Zoom as we could making people drive to see us. Mm. We can get a feel for them. We can interview anybody anywhere at the drop of a hat. And we can, we can schedule casting directors to be doing interviews, you know, every hour on the hour. So we get a lot more contestants through. Um, the streamers are great. The Amazons, the Netflixes, the HBO Maxes. all of them are in the business of reality now. So we weren't really sure if they were going to be in that business, but they are definitely coming on board. And the demand for content is as high or higher than it was then. It was really high in 2006, uh, 2005, 6, and then 8. Everything dropped off when the bottom fell out of everything. And it's just been growing and growing. I mean, there are, at least for the, Top casting companies, which I'm really not sure how many companies there are that are um, can scale up as quickly as we can. There's you know, probably four. Um, business can be very, very good. It's feast or famine in our business. You're either working as much as you possibly can or you're waiting for the next job or you're doing four jobs at once. It's hmm. it's uh, it's up and down. But, you know, it's been very good for the past three years.
1: Damon, what about, the, what about the contestants themselves? Because it seems like, obviously, I mean, I think the biggest thing now is with social media and knowing that, hey, I just need to get out there on a show watched by, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions of people, you know, to build my brand, to gain followers. I mean, it is a thing, whether people want to accept it or not you know, especially with the Bachelor and Bachelorette world, it's like, are they there for the right reasons? Well, I don't know if anybody in 2022 now is. I mean, they're all looking to either get famous or, or build a brand or sell something or whatever. I, I I don't even think there's anything wrong with that anymore. Maybe five years ago I did, but now I, I everyone's got an ulterior motive versus, oh, I'm really actually interested in what the show has to offer versus me personally, or or am I off on that? No,
0: I, I think you're, you're on point. I, I think the landscape has changed dramatically. I mean, when, you know, back in 2006 to, to maybe a few years ago, um, you know, people were skeptical of getting on a reality show in fear that it might uh, taint their brand. Uh, what you're seeing now is this crossover uh, of so many different, you know, whether it's social media, television, film anything to get their name out there they're considering. So, you know, while some may say, Hey, you know, I am doing it for love. And that may be their, their, their truth. I mean, I think anybody who who's looking to you know be on television would be lying if they said that they weren't hope, hopefully going to benefit from it in the long run.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, if they find love, great. That's, that's why they're there. But if they also get, you know, acquire a hundred thousand followers, on their TikTok or their Instagram. I mean, which, which happens, which is very, very possible. Uh, you know, and, and I, you know, after talking to Steven and Kurt recently, I mean, they've certainly seen an uptick in their uh, social media, So following. So I, yeah, it's hard to really discern whether somebody cause we do go into it with the intentions of wanting people to be there for the right reasons, which is love. Um, you know, and uh, some people have said, I, you know, truthfully I'm just here to, to, to get my numbers up. And we usually don't consider them. And that's, 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 uh, that's kind of a behind the scenes statement. I mean, we rarely, you know, whatever, believe it or not, there are some scruples in reality television and that's one of them. You know, if we feel like you're not truthfully there for the right reason, or at least most of the reason, then it's really hard for us to, to, we have to be convinced that you're there for the right reason. So, you can convince us, then, you know, we think that you can convince America and either you're, you know, best actor in the world or you're authentic in your intentions.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, and it's almost like now after hearing you say that, if some future contestant for any reality show is listening, it's almost like, Hey, even if you don't believe in the show that you want to be on and you're looking to build a brand and gain followers, just don't say it, just fake fake it till you make it. (laughs) (laughs) Just don't tell Jason and Damon directly. Yeah. I'm looking to build a brand here. I'm looking for followers. I don't really care about the show. Yeah, I mean, it's it's almost like they can get through it. Now, Jason, when you were on reality TV, this wasn't a thing. There, there was no Twitter. There was no Instagram. Yeah. I don't even think Facebook was around. No, it definitely wasn't around then. When, no, no, it wasn't. When, when you cast regular people now that are coming in, can you tell uh, – you guys have been doing this for a long time. So now, now that you've built it up and now we're in 2022 where you've had about five or six years to where the social media boom post show is now a thing and it could become your full-time job – Can you tell right away who's actually interested in whatever the show is about or whether or not they're strictly looking to get famous? Or honestly, does it it even matter at this point? You're just looking for a good cast member.
2: Yeah. I mean, look, they're not mutually exclusive, Steve, honestly. It's like they could be an influencer and they could be in it to get their numbers up. But we can usually tell if it's a dating show, if they're genuinely going after love. That is our goal. We, mm. we don't truly care. Sometimes it's a plus to have your numbers be pretty good because maybe we found you through social media. You know, maybe that's the way we got to you. I don't know, but if we get them in interviews and these are, there's multiple interviews. There's an interview with the, let's say the, let's go through the process real quick. So yeah, we find you, we reach out to you. Um, it could be a casting associate. They tell you what the show is. You agree to do an interview. And then the next stage is you interview with the casting director and that casting director then does an hour interview. Sometimes it's an hour, 30 minutes to an hour. We edit that. We look at it. Then Damon and me and Sandra, whoever's at the top of the company looks at that and goes, this person's legit. We pitch it to the network, the network and the production company, and they make it past that phase. Then there's another set of interviews in which we get on the phone with that person and we ask them some key questions. And we're trying to get, who they are, their real self out. Are they really looking to fall in love? What does that look like? What Are they looking to come on and date somebody? Are they open to this process? And it's not just genuine, like whether or not they're looking to fall in love. It's can they be genuine on camera? Can they be, can they? I think Damon and I, I think we've said this about a hundred thousand times. It's like if a person who can't help, but be themselves is a person we want on the show. And I don't mean that you're forced self, not the self you think you want to project, The self you really are. If that can't, if you can't help, but be that person, then you're right for a show. It might not be this one, or it might be this one, but we're going to give you a shot at it. And you know, if you fit all the other criteria,
1: that's interesting. I mean, Damien, with so many reality shows now we see, we kind of see all the same types of characters on each show, whether it's, you know, dancing with the stars always has an athlete, an Olympian, a Disney person, a political figure, a newsmaker, like it, Every season, you kind of know who's going to be on Dance with Stars, just not the name. You know, kind of the the background of it. Do you find that more shows are wanting uh, people to fit characters to a show, or no? I mean, it's just it's it's hard to see. We kind of just see it with every show. You know, I you know again, I bring it back to the Bachelor and Bachelorette. It's like, okay, here's here's the person that you know is going to be uncomfortable being around a bunch of other women. Here's the one that's. The drinker that's going to get drunk on the first night. It just seems like we always see it, and it's like that can't be a coincidence. Or maybe it is. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I I think there's some of that going on. I, you know, I think diversity can can mean a lot of things. you know, when when you're making your wish list for a show, you want to have variety in there. So you want someone who's going to go in there and maybe stir the pot, or you know, be be the loud talker in the room uh someone who maybe is a little more reserved but still will speak their mind i mean ultimately yes we we do have these little buckets that we like to fill but i think that there's no real uh it it, you know you find these great people and you say these this one this person has a story to tell and sometimes you know they're really loud when you meet them and then when they get in the on the show they're they're maybe not as loud so you know you never know until they all get together what kind of dynamic you're going to get um but ultimately yes we do want a variety of people in there if everybody was the same it it's it just you know just a bunch of loud people talking over loud people so to answer your question yes we do go with, with the intention of trying to find different uh, people to uh to 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 fill the the slots if you will
2: well and that that also goes to like i think I don't know what shows we don't have to mention names, but there are some shows out there that are pretty formulaic in the way they cast the shows. Yeah. Um, They've got a formula. It works. People love it. They've got good numbers. And until their numbers start dropping off, they're not really going to change that formula um, too much. And we all know those shows and you know, they do great business. Um, You really do get creative when you've got a show coming in because you know we this this version of Joe Millionaire had never been done before it was a whole different format had a name everybody recognized but we got the time and we got the chance to really go out and try to find different women than you would see on a normal dating show in the sense that we got a lot of women that we looked at a lot of women we interviewed and we got to really pick the ones we thought were are going to a get along with each other And B, um, it wasn't just going to be a massive competition. It was going to be, oh, they're going to actually question, you know, I think I love them or I don't think I love them. And then the same thing with the guys. So we, it was a, it wasn't a formula. We were creating the formula.
1: You know, we're 20 years into reality TV being a thing. And, and I, and I've always said, it just seems like what is there left to do in reality TV? How how many different Mm -hmm. ideas are, are there still left out there? And I've, I've always said to this day that the best reality show that I ever saw, that I ever saw produced the way it came off was the Joe Schmo show season one. I thought it was the best thing that could ever be put on. T- like it was, it was uh, perfect. It was yeah. because it was, it because it was in the early stages of reality TV to where you could fool somebody like that. Nowadays, yeah. I don't think you could pull off the Joe Schmo show. It just, people yeah. would be way too skeptical. The second they're signing on, they'd be like, what am I signing on for? Or whatever. The case may be. And you brought up, you know, when you're talking about interviewing the people, you're telling them what the show is. Speaking with both Steven and and Kurt and Jenny, all of them were told this show is called Love for Real. Like you weren't even allowed to tell them this was Joe Millionaire. And it's because, you know, Joe Millionaire was something that was the first season was, you know, back in 2002 or 2003. I don't know if you know this, but Joe Millionaire is what started RealitySteve.com it was the first show yeah. because i was just i was just a guy i was 5 years out of college just liked watching tv and fox had the nfl and they started promoting a show where we we were in the early stages of reality tv but we had never seen something where they were literally doing a prank and they were going to trick women into thinking a guy was worth 300 million when he made 20 grand a year and i was uh-huh. like i got to watch this and so joe millionaire started and i sent an email after every episode, to three of my friends with just basically ramblings and my thoughts on, because when I saw the commercials, I was like, I can't believe the women are gonna fall for this. Like, what's gonna happen? Is she gonna? Is she really gonna be interested in him or the fact that he's possibly worth three hundred million? And I sent it out to three of my friends. They forwarded it on to people, who then forwarded it on to people, and then I had an email list running, and it got up to about three hundred people. Can I be under Joe Millionaire email list? And I'm like, okay. And then Joe <laughs> Millionaire ends, and they send like, we think these are funny. We love these what's the next show you're going to do? And I'm like, well, I don't know what's the next dating show popping up in that time frame? And it happened to be the first season of the bachelorette. And then from there it took off. But yeah, Joe millionaires is, is kind of what started everything. And I was always wondering, could they bring this show back? Because it's, you're tricking people and you're like, how do we, how would they not know? And this was the way they did it. We're like, Hey, we're going to have two guys from the very get go. And we're going to tell you in the first episode, one of these guys is the millionaire. And one of them is yeah. it. so it, the whole thing was pretty fascinating. But the fact that you obviously you were told by the production company, you can't tell these people, Stephen, Kurt, any of the women, this is Joe millionaire. So do they, I don't think anyone's mad at you, but do they feel like, Oh, if I wish, if I, if, if I would have known this, maybe I wouldn't have done it. Or why aren't you, why weren't you allowed to maybe. say Joe millionaire?
2: Well, the cat didn't they they didn't want to get the cat out of the bag. honestly it was a huge um it was a big deal for fox to bring this back and try to recreate it so i mean we're we're, casting is pretty hamstrung on the shows if it's not a show that's already got a following so you're never going to be able to go out and have a casting call that says hey we're casting for the new joe million because first of all the women would have known you the yeah. surprise on that first episode when the women were introduced to two men, that was, that was worth every secret we had to keep. Right. Yep. Yep. But we don't yep. lie. We didn't lie to the women. We, we did, told them as much of the truth as we possibly could, which is we're casting a show called love for real, which is something Damon and I and Saundra just made up <laughs> at the very beginning of casting because it sounded kind of cool. We thought it was a good name. We're like, if I was going to create a dating show. It'd be a good name. And we told them the truth. I mean, everything we said, and we have to be really clear about this, everything we said was true. When we were talking and interviewing the women, we did not lie. Because I don't honestly think in 2021, 2022, that you could do the original version of Joe Millionaire. No. I think that it would be perceived as sexist. I think it would be perceived as predatory in some way. I just don't, not that it was back when it came out. I just think it would be looked at like, oh my God, They're just lying to 20 women. I don't think that that plays on television um, the same way it did back then when it was brand new. So it had to have an honesty to it. And, you know, the men, all the men knew was that they weren't going to be alone. That's what we told the other guy. That's what we told Steve. That's what we told Kurt. It's like, you're not going to be alone. You're not going to be the only guy. They didn't necessarily know what the twist was going to be, but we knew they were going to be cool with it. Yeah. Um the women we we also knew they were gonna be it was gonna be better. I mean what we were presenting to them was basically it's just like The Bachelor without saying that name. Um so the pleasant surprise came when there were two men to choose from.
1: Yeah. I mean, as you mentioned, it's just different times. Yeah, you couldn't have you couldn't have pulled this off in twenty twenty two, the original version um mm-hmm. of it. And, you know, trick like I said, anything involving playing a prank or tricking a whole cast is just it couldn't go over nowadays just because i think people are just way more skeptical because we've had 20 years of reality television shows out there where it seems like every idea has been brought forward like what else well, could there be i
2: mean david spoke to this earlier but think about this we had to find a millionaire who did not have a large social following yeah i mean like imagine you go onto this show you're one of the women kind of like what happened with uh Who was it that knew who Stephen was? Caroline?
1: Caroline, yeah. No,
2: yeah, Caroline. Yeah, yeah. Caroline Campbell. Yeah, she, like, we had to find a guy who did not have a large social media following or the whole thing would have been blown from the very beginning. And we, we vetted Caroline Campbell, vetted her social media, vetted every single thing we could, and she still knew who he was. Yeah. And that was surprising to all of us, but, it you know, unfortunately for her, it didn't work to have her on the show, but it played well on TV. And you know, I think she's probably okay with it now.
1: You know, Damon, you mentioned earlier about uh, a couple of the shows that you done. Um, what was the one Joker? Uh, Joker's Wild, right? That was another one. Or um,
0: uh, not Joker. No, we did. Uh, are you talking about a game show? Or yeah, or a uh, game show. Dating show. Game show. We've done Cher- Cherry's Wild, Cherry's uh, Wild, game show. Yeah, Cherry's Wild and uh, Mental Samurai with Bob
1: Okay, so there's obviously a difference between casting a dating show versus a game show and a type of contestant that you're looking for on that. When you're casting a game show contestant, just as a viewer of TV and, and game shows on reality TV, it seems like you have to cast somebody who is either just super enthusiastic or has to act super enthusiastic. Cause I've never seen a game yeah. show contestant, that is just like, yeah, okay, uh, I'll I'll keep playing or whatever. They are over the top enthusiastic. I, I mean, assuming that's the biggest quality you have to go for.
0: The
1: the difference
0: okay, from a, <laughs> we we laugh about it because you know if you can cast a dating show, you can you know, and this is no offense to anybody that does never cast a dating show, but I think those who have casted dating big dating shows will tell you that casting dating shows is. A, a, more challenging than, than doing a game show simply because you have to find the people you have to hunt after those people that, that you want on a dating show. Whereas a game show, you put it out there and people are like, I, I want to win money. Yeah. How do I get on a game show? So, so yes, you are looking for exuberance. You're looking for, uh, enthusiastic people who, um, you know, have some sensibility about them, but are going to go out there. And, 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 uh, uh, I think one of the un- very underrated qualities, uh, that people need to have is, is, is they, they need to have a level of comfort on set because when you have so many cameras, you know, shooting at you you have lights, you're on a the stage, there's maybe an audience, obviously pre COVID, you know, you have to be able to sort of deliver goods you know you have to be a personality up there and and uh, so there's a you know there's a little bit of a arduous arduous process to making sure these people are gonna you know uh, have a good time up there on the stage we just tell them say hey, look just be yourself and have a good time so when we're looking for somebody uh for a game show ultimately they need to um be as comfortable as possible because that's that's the only way it's going to work um they can't
2: so, help but
1: themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I you yeah. know, it, it is interesting, and I, you know, watch game shows, and I watch clearly reality TV dating shows have been my forte for for years, mostly Bachelor, and Bachelorette, but I watch the other ones. I've I've seen them. I've seen all the the different variations of a type of dating show where it's where it ultimately always centers around either one lead or two leads. And a bunch of contestants competing for that person, it's just a matter of you know how dates go, how eliminations go, what the wording is that they use, but it's all kind of you know the same thing. It's just a bunch of men and or women competing for a one woman or one man or you know two, but you know I think now with casting and you know the boom of social media, viewers seem to be complaining all the time about oh, all they want is you know all these these influencers are on all these, you know, the only way to get cast is because you're an influencer now. But I, I think that's totally backwards. I've never, I don't even really see it that way. If that were the case, then every contestant on these shows would be going in with hundreds of thousands, if not millions of followers ever before they step foot on the show. And the, and the data just shows that's just not the case. They build it Uh once they're on the show and then become influencers. So I'm sure that's something that when you guys do it, are you told specifically by any production companies that we don't want people who are already at 100,000 or 500,000
2: no. it's no ne- it's never discussed really okay. honestly it's never something that a network or a production company brings up to us it's the the task is the same go out and find the best people for this show um, the parameters are laid down, you know, they, they need to be roughly from this age to this age, although, you know, any age can really get on a show in theory. Um, and they just need to fit into what we're creating. So if they want to come on and they want to play ball there, they can go and they can audition for the show and they might make it on the show, but it's, it's really, there's never a mention of social media. That's always a surprise to us. You know, we might find them easier on social media if they have a large following. But honestly, it it could be somebody who's got two followers. It it doesn't matter if they, if they can speak to the camera and they can express themselves and we have fun in an interview with them, you know, depending on what we're looking for, of course, But for Joe Millionaire, are they comfortable in front of the camera? I mean, look at uh, a great example would be Suzette James Mm -hmm. from Joe Millionaire. She, I think, had the largest following going into the show she had quite a few people on instagram maybe twitter i don't know about tiktok so much but you know but that girl is uh, she's a she's a dynamo she is a such a natural in front of the camera but also was really into the show and really went for the right reasons so if anything her social media following would make us think she's only doing this for her following but after we interviewed her Many, many times we all said, this girl's legit. Like, she just happens to be a, a soundbite machine. I mean, there's no, it's not a mistake that you see her on almost every episode before she got um, booted that, you know, they were going back to her and what she was saying. And because she's so good in front of a camera, she's an example of somebody who's 100% themselves, a 100% natural. And it works for that show. Mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if it didn't spin off. If she didn't have her own, if somebody is smart and somebody out there is thinking about this. Uh, you know, <laughs> let's find let's find love for her. Let's give her her own show. Let's have her be the lead on a show she's that good.
1: Yeah, I mean, I thought she was. I thought she was great, and she got a lot of time for somebody that never got a one-on-one date. Uh-huh. But they did show a lot of her ITMs, confessionals, whatever uh-huh. you want to call them because she was good TV. And we, you know, we get that a lot. And I think people kind of run with it about, well, are we promoting bad behavior when we highlight, you know, women like, you know, Sinead on the bachelor this season, who is putting someone's ADHD uh, diagnosis down and making fun of it and stuff like that. And, oh, they only focus on the drama and stuff like that. But, you know, again, as I say to them every season, like, look, I know people maybe get tired of the drama, and the cattiness between the women on The Bachelor or if you're watching The Bachelorette, the men fighting and drama and who said this. But let's be honest. If everyone in the house got along, you would think it's the most boring show in America. Like, it's going to... I I,
2: I agree. I agree. I totally agree. I mean, like, do you think that on Joe Millionaire, I mean, the women, we don't have a lot of cat fighting. No. Like, you know, it's not these... uh, There is, there are people that are you know separating themselves a little bit from from the rest of the women by their behavior but for the most part there's, they're they're getting along they're like these cool girl crews that are supporting each other and the show still works yeah. i mean at least i think i think it works i'm i'm watching it and um i i don't know what's going to happen we don't know once we turn the cast over what the results going to be but yeah. they're keeping me tuning in every single week
1: yeah it seems what like what do you think it, no it seems like this is um and, and even just looking at some of them on social media post-show, they're hanging out and, you know, very friendly with each other. It really seems that the only person, if you want to cast her as a quote-unquote villain or who has gotten a villain edit, would be Carolyn. And, and, and it's not mm-hmm. like Carolyn is shit-talking any of the other women. She's just kind of isolated herself as, hey, I'm here for Kurt. I don't want Kurt. Uh, you know, I'm getting a little jealous that Kurt gives attention to other mm-hmm. women, which would be natural, I think, in that in that process. How can you, you yeah. have to understand you're going into a dating show. It's one thing to be like, I know he's dating other women. And then to see it in front of your eyes with, you know, you were just making out with him on a bus and now Amanda is sitting on his lap. <laughs> yeah. That's going to probably get on your skin a little bit, but some people yeah. take it better than others.
2: I love Amanda. I love Amanda. Pace. Yeah. I, I, I love all the girls. I love all the women on the show, but <laughs> I, I had a special place in my heart for Amanda. man. I think Amanda, I,
1: I think Amanda's great. And I've spoken to her on DM and she's going to, She'll be on the podcast once this is all said and done. I don't know how things end up with her. I'm a, just watching the first you know six episodes. I think it's pretty clear she's making it for, you know, it's between, for Kurt, it seems like, I could be wrong, it seems like this is coming down to a choice between Carolyn and Amanda. So whether or not Amanda wins or whether or not she's the one that yeah. he, yeah. Uh, maybe he chooses Carolyn over her, I don't know, but... I definitely want to have her on because I think she's I think she's a ball of energy and, and totally different than Carolyn, which is really cool to watch Kurt, you know, f- kind of fall for two women that based on what we've seen on television are really different from each mm-hmm.
2: other. Very, yeah, very and you know, she's got a secret too, you know. I think they're teasing it on the you know, what's coming up, but there's there's a lot of layers yeah. to to Amanda Pace. Yeah, that, we'll find um, out
0: more we'll, about it. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah,
1: gonna that, be
2: very
0: interesting coming up.
1: Yeah, well, I'm looking I forward think, to
0: that. Steve the the one thing that you mentioned uh i thought was interesting is that you know these girls are different from each other and i think that was really the goal was to make sure that we felt like uh that the girls you know would feel different be different and identify i think accessibility you know for women watching it was important that there was somebody on on the cast that they felt they could identify with i mean andrea is a good example of that she's a self-made girl You know, and she while she didn't really connect with, you know, um, one of the guys, uh, she still brought her individuality. And I thought there was a really nice moment with her and Jenny. And, you know, she 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 represented a a contingency of women that, you know, can identify with her. Annie, another example, you know, a lot of of people really identify with Annie. Uh, Brianna, I mean, she's, you know certainly had her challenges, but you know, I think a lot of people, the moment, you know, the tender moment with Martin and the, in the, uh, uh, in, the um, in the tent. Yeah. Um, you know, was really, really good. So I think there's just a level of like, we are trying to make an effort to, to have some level of diversity where there is somebody's face on there. you can identify with someone's personality or what have you, uh, was really important to us. You know, we wanted that to, to be a part of the part of the show.
1: Yeah, I think I think one of the things that gets lost by a lot of people, I try and beat people over the head with it every single time, you know, a new bachelor or bachelorette is named and they're like, "Oh my god, he was so boring" or "She why why did they pick her over him?" I'm like, "You realize that these shows are made in casting, not the lead, but it's the contestants. There's one lead, right, for your show there was two, but for the most part on these dating shows, it's one person and 25 or 30. Those 25 or 30 the lead could be as have the personality of a log, and the show could still be good because if you have enough interesting contestants with backstories and or you know some people that are great in front of the camera that are better than others and can give great sound bites, that's what makes these shows not who the lead is. It really doesn't matter who the lead is, to be honest with you, and I tell people that all yeah. the time, but they don't believe me um, <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I think the network or the production company would have you say. Everybody's important. Yeah, everybody's important. And and, and to a degree, you're right. You could have a lot of interesting characters around, but man, it just sure does pop a lot, a lot harder when you've got good characters from top to bottom. That's always our goal. I mean, our goal is to take on a casting and then to be able to watch the show once we finished our casting and like what we see. And that doesn't mean we got to like everybody. But we have to believe that we did our absolute best and like you know it's not rocket science we're not we're not brain surgeons here we've been at it for about 20 years so we know a lot of the tricks of the trade and we know what people are going to say to us to try to get on shows and we know how to weed them out to try to get to the most authentic people possible and to then try to get them onto a show or at least let them get themselves onto a show and hope that the production company agrees and Luckily on this one, Sally Ann, Talsano and 495, we were all in the same. We were all going after the same goal, which was let's find some genuine people who are actually looking for love. And let's have a social experiment where the women think one's rich and one's not. And let's see what happens. And I think it's created an interesting conversation in America. I I, I see people on social media talking about it it's 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 a it's a popular show it's not as large as the bachelor did but it's growing every single week and i think it's a conversation that's uh that needs to be had again in 2022
1: yeah i wanted to i i am really enjoying the show i'm glad that they brought it back i was always curious like i said how could they bring it back in the same format as it was when it first started and they didn't they had to bring it back in this way which i think is which is great um the relationship between Kurt and Steven is, I think the bromance adds to the popularity of the show and why people seem to like it. Um, but I I wanted to leave you guys with one last thing. I want to ask you each a question, and it might be hard to pull these from, from your memory bank because you've been doing this for so long, hmm. but I'll first start with you, Damon. Is there a contestant that during casting, I mean, you obviously end up casting these people, is there a contestant, though, during casting on any of the shows that you've done? One that sticks out to you where either either or they were great in casting and they got on the show and it just didn't click? Or somebody that you were maybe hesitant on during casting still casted them, but then they turned out to be a dynamo in terms of their confessionals or ITMs?
0: Ah, uh, ooh. Put me on the
1: spot i don't want to i don't want to say that like you didn't right, like somebody right. or whatever but there had to okay, be somebody that, right. uh, that really blew you up and we're like wow they were better than i thought
0: okay i, I have somebody so we did a show called marrying million season two uh, i think we had we did some support casting on season one i you know we were working in conjunction with the production uh casting uh team and um we did uh, that for, I don't know, a couple months or what have you. And I um, <clears throat> met this woman, Desiree, and uh, she was really sweet and nice. And she said, you know, I have uh, someone who I believe would be a great person for this. And she, his name was Rodney. And uh, I met Rodney and I, I, and I just didn't believe them. I thought they were during the early parts of casting. So I met them through my casting associate, brought them forward to me. Spoke to them. And they were the type of people where I was like, this is too good to be true. The things they were telling me. And I don't know if you're familiar with that show at all, but no. it's Rodney and Desiree from Married Millions season two. And uh, they were amazing on the show. I mean, they were so good. They got a spinoff. So they surprised me. So that happens on occasion when you you're like, this can't be right. These people are too good to be true. There's no way they're the, the things that they're saying to me are either they're they're very savvy to the casting world uh, and know the right things to say or or they're just authentically that good. And I, you know, erred on the side of like, nah they're 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 not they're not who they say they are. And they were they were exactly who they said they were. And, and, and then some and they, they really surprised me. And I, I've had other people who I was literally would literally, uh, you know, uh, bet my left arm that they were going to be the stars of the show and uh and and flopped, you know for various reasons so uh you know it, it goes both ways but i think over over the years of just doing it for so long you sort of can anticipate like caroline campbell is a good example of someone who would have killed it on the show and a little behind the scenes uh, on her she uh you know we we fly people out for finals we want to meet them in person the network wants to meet them before they put them on the show and, and you know which is a very standard practice in our business and uh, she came out, and, you know, she had the whole room laughing the whole time. I mean, she kept us laughing the whole time. So this girl's a, a bonafide star. If 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 she lasts a long time, she's a bonafide star. So uh, at the end of the day, you know, that didn't work out, but we'll get her on mm. a different show. Hopefully that answered your question. Yeah.
1: No, it did. Uh, and, Jason, for you, why don't you pull one of those? Someone that you were maybe iffy on, and then they got on the show and really blew up and— you know impress you more than you thought maybe they would
2: oh definitely for me it's going to be Stephen mcbee. Um, I like Stephen um, I like talking to him, but honestly and he, our our casting director uh, Chadwick Wilson, um, when he interviewed him, he came out of the room we were in the office together and he came out and he goes, "I think we just found our millionaire." And I was like, "No way! Are you kidding?" Because this was like week three of casting on a six-month job, hmm. and I watched that guy. I watched his interview. I'm like, "Ah, maybe, maybe not." But like later on, I was more convinced that he was going to be great. You know, that we would seen a lot of millionaires, but I he he was willing to do as many interviews as we needed him to do, but he wasn't hungry. Like you could tell he could take it or leave it. Like if he wasn't pompous at all, he was just cool and nice. And I was sure he was going to go onto the show and I was going to play this part. But like I was very pleasantly surprised at just how genuine and cool and outgoing he was on the show. Um, That blew me away. I mean, he is such a good interviewer, like. On camera, when they're doing the OTF, so they're doing the uh, confessional interviews. He's just great. He's great. He's a total natural. And it, it, it wasn't like that in the beginning, but it got there. And then mm-hmm. when he got to the show, it was, it was phenomenal. And I think that speaks a lot to the producing of the show and just making them comfortable on set as well. Um, but Stephen would have to be one of the number one people that I was surprised by.
1: Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's This has been a great insight into just the casting world, because this is not something I'm I'm definitely someone who's interested in the how the sausage is made. Uh, it's why I'm kind of interested in the, the spoiler aspect of The Bachelor and Bachelorette and kind of the behind the scenes versus what we see on television, because we hear a lot of the same lines every season from these contestants. It's kind of the same thing. So it's like, I don't really care what they say on the show, because I know they don't really <laughs> necessarily mean it. They know what they have to say. You know, you know, you know the end goal of the Bachelor, the Bachelorette, is to get engaged at the end, and I think that's a lot of pressure. So everyone has to say the right things because if you're saying if you're what you really feel, like you know what, I don't know if I'm really interested in getting engaged, then you have no chance of winning. So you immediately Mm -hmm. are taking Mm -hmm. yourself out of the competition. For Joe Millionaire, we don't even know what the end game is of this show. We, I have no Mm -hmm. idea. The show hasn't told us, um, and that's I think that's the good part of this ride is that. We don't know what to expect. I don't know if Kurt wants to be engaged at the end or Stephen wants to be engaged or they're just going to tell some woman, I, I want to date you still. Like, I don't, I don't know. So I think it's very interesting. And then plus the money aspect of when do the women find out about who's the rich one, who isn't, and is it going to change their view of mm-hmm. one? So I think that's.
2: Yeah. How, how are the women going to react? Yeah. And by the way, Steve, we don't know. Yeah. We don't know. We don't know when they're going to tell them. We don't know how they tell them. We don't know who they pick. We don't know. We're watching it the same way you
1: are. Yeah, and I I think it's it's just really interesting. I'm 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 fascinated by the behind the scenes about just how casting works and stuff like that. So, Jason Damon, I really appreciate you guys coming on. I'm glad I was able to connect with you guys, and we'll definitely uh, have you guys on in the future. Continue the great work and great casting on some of our favorite shows. So, um, awesome. Take care of me. Take care, you guys.
2: Listen. Thanks thanks, for the time thank you steve thanks for the time uh tell everybody listening to the show to go check out our tiktok our instagram all that and to follow us and they'll know about the castings first
1: yeah cornwell casting um on uh on twitter it is it's just cornwell casting right yeah yeah just
2: Corn- the at cornwell casting on tiktok facebook instagram twitter all of them we're all we're everywhere just Follow us
1: and you'll hear first. And if you you listen to this interview, now you know exactly what you need to say to these guys in your interviews (laughs) (laughs) to get cast on a show. How about that? (laughs) We'll see. Yeah, we'll we'll see.
2: see. You can try. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All right. Thanks, Jason, Damon. Really appreciate it. Thanks,
0: Steve. You got it. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it, man. All right. right. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you so much to Jason and Damon uh, for coming on and sharing that. Like I said, I think Michael Carroll – Former Bachelor producer years ago, I'm talking early 2000s, and Temptation Island producer for the first few seasons, I think the first two seasons. He's the only person on the the behind-the-scenes guy that I've ever had on the podcast, I think, unless I'm missing out on somebody else. But just to hear their stories and hear what it takes to get on a reality TV show, especially a reality TV dating show, which they specialize in. And the casting job they did for Joe Millionaire and how extensive it was and finding Kurt and finding Steven and finding the right women that they thought would fit this show. its Very, very interesting stuff. As you know from me, I'm always a guy that's much more interested in how the sausage is made than eating the sausage. That sounded so bizarre. Um but I've always been interested in the more behind the scenes stuff. It's why I've always been interested in the spoilers and giving you stuff that happened behind the scenes that isn't shown on television. So talking to these two guys uh, was really, really eye opening. And just, I hope you learned a lot of things from that, as I certainly did. So I, I really want to thank Jason and uh, Damon for coming on. And they will definitely be on in the future, I tell you that much. So, thank you to them. Thank you all for listening. Uh please rate, subscribe and review in Apple Podcasts. Very much appreciated and we'll be back next week with yet another podcast. As I mentioned, um I didn't mention it at the beginning of the podcast, but Temptation Island season 4 starts March 16th. So that's basically if the bachelor has a one-night finale, it'll be 2 days after the bachelor finale. If it has a two-night finale, it'll be the next night. So they're really waiting until after Bachelor is over now to start their dating show airing. It filmed in September, but, um, and I know nothing other than what was posted. I saw the two minute preview looks very juicy, very salacious, very temptation Islandish, and can't wait to start covering it. Looking, uh, you know, watching the episodes and Obviously, I'll try and get some coverage here and get some of the contestants on as the show is airing and whatnot. But uh, we're still a month away from that. That starts March 16th on, on USA. So, for Jason Cornwell and Damon Colazzo I'm Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in, and we will talk to you next week. See you!